you'll hear truly scary stories that you cannot get out of your head. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Got everything? Will asks, giving me a top-to-tail sweep with his petrol-blue laughing eyes. Um, I look down. I'm not sure what everything means in this context. It's only my fifth time, and Will takes charge so completely that I haven't had to really memorize much. It's his passion, this. He is my passion. Exant, he admonishes me and begins pointing at the equipment. Naming aloud, helmet, check. Boots, check. Lamp, check. Batteries, check. Rope, check. Harness, check. Water, check. Snacks. I dig energy bars and chocolate out of my new cave pack, holding them out. Check. At least you can be relied on for food, Will is laughing. Okay, I've got the first aid kit. And all the other bits. Think we're ready? I guess so, I say, putting my pack on. Will takes his phone out of his pocket and leans back into the truck, leaving it in the center console. There's no signal on the ground. I put mine in, too. Our screens touching, face to face. We get inside via a short abseil. And after coiling our ropes and putting our other gear back into our packs, we set off down a winding tunnel about eight feet high. It's a long and kind of steep scramble downhill at first, and at the bottom we have to crawl, maybe 50 feet. But the first open room is pretty spectacular, I have to admit. Someone else has left a halogen light in there, and once we're both inside, Will reaches and switches it on. Illuminating a scene of such primeval drama, my breath catches in my throat a bit. The room is low as you crawl to enter, but it opens up into a space at the far end of cathedral proportions. Maybe a hundred feet high, with enormous stalactites arching down towards their stalagmite counterpart. Those in the lower sections of the sides of Met and Embrace, standing in rippling whitish pillars. Parts of the walls glitter with some sort of crystalline deposits, others run with trickles of water. When I go over to brush my gloved fingertips over one rivulet, they sink into clay-like rock. Is it clay? I turn, surprised. Will smiles. It's only little sections, he says. None of the actual tunnels. What do you think? He asks with those laughing eyes gazing all around the room, then fixing back on me. Absolutely spectacular, I say, but I'm looking at him, not the cave. His enthusiasm for this place, this activity, just lights him up. It's amazing, isn't it? Does he understand how much I'm here for him and not the cave? I don't know. There's an even more incredible one further along, only he pauses, considering. Only? There's a bit of a tight section to go through to get to it. A bit of a squeeze. He looks unsure. How tight we talking, I quip. And his eyes sparkle again, and I think he does know. Take off your helmet tight, he replies, but it's only that tight for a short bit. I contemplate this. I am not exactly claustrophobic, obviously or I wouldn't be underground in a room made of a hole and a solid rock. But equally, I'm not a huge fan of really tight spaces either. I look back at Will's face. He looks so hopeful, but like he's scared to push. He's such a gentle soul, and I love it so much about him. He goes out of his way not to impose on people, not to cost anyone too much. In a sea of selfish, demanding, entitled people, he's like a little oasis of ease. Being with him is like meditating. 
Well, I say, smiling. You're bigger than me, so if you fit, I guess I'll fit. His grin is huge, lighting up his whole face. Okay, he says, clicking the halogen light off, leaving us wide-eyed in the dimmer lights of our headlamps. It's this way. Will went first. He explained that he would go ahead, taking our packs with him, so he could check the way was okay and call back and direct me through. He talked me through briefly before setting off. You can crawl the first 30 or so feet, then it gets tight. Get on your belly, use your elbows and feet. Keep your helmet on. Then after 20 or so more feet, there's a pinch, about 15 feet long. It's really tight. Push your helmet ahead. It divides. Take the upper tunnel. As he talked, I watched his beautiful mouth and wanted to kiss it. I'd only known him about a year, and we'd not had a single date in the traditional sense. But I was completely head over heels in love with him. I waited alone by the gap he'd gone through, listening for him to call me on. It seemed to take a long time. There was scrambling at first, then more distant scuffling. The minutes stretched on. The silence inside a cave is something quite exceptional. Somewhere water dripped slow, tap, tap, tap. The drum of it reverberating around the rock's many surfaces. My own breath sounded loud and harsh in my ears. I could hear or maybe more sense my own heart thudding steadily away inside of its own cave of ribs. Finally, a distant voice. Exand? There was an echo to it. He must be in the bigger chamber at the end now. I'm coming, I called back, and on gloved hands and reinforced caving trousered knees, I crawled into the hole. As I crawled through that first bit, he was calling things to me, but it was hard to make them out. Sounds bounced off the rock in a hundred different directions, and the echo of wherever he was distorted his voice. I, 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 I came through. Tight or light? I crawled on, my toes catching on outcrops of rock on the tunnel floor. Super careful, 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 careful. Came through clear and I paused a second. Should I still come? I called back. But no response came after a moment, so I kept going. It was getting lower now. Sometimes when I brought a knee forward, my lower back hit the bottom of the tunnel. Rock is so hard. I know that's an obvious statement, but it's not until your own squishy body is surrounded by it that you really comprehend just how hard it is. It's unforgiving. After the third time I scraped my back, I began to lower my hips and commando crawled on my elbows for a bit. The floor of the tunnel was wet in places, and though my feet stayed dry, the thighs of my trousers began to leak a little, icy water soaking through the thermal base layer leggings underneath. Exand, 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 exand. Will's voice sounded even more distant now, making me raise my hand and knock my helmet against the rock above me. I'm coming, I called back, ducking again, trying to go a little faster. Gotta ack, 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 ack. He calls out and I stop again. Another noise is overlapping his like a distant rumble. It's small and far away, but it adds to the distortion. Go back, I call out, Will? But again, there's no response. So after a moment, I head on again. I'm beginning to be worried that there's something wrong. Maybe with him, maybe with the route. But I reason the safest place is with Will. I have no idea what I'm doing. It gets smaller and smaller in here. I look ahead at the dwindling space and a little cold hand of fear clutches at my guts. No, I tell myself, Will has 30 pounds on you and he made it. You're fine, you'll be fine. I'm anxious to be with him again, Will. This is his thing. And the first time we've ever had to be split up for more than a minute or two in a cave. 
It's much easier to stay composed in the glow of his steadfast, experienced calm. On my own, I can feel doubts crowding in. What am I doing here? How much further is it? As it gets tighter, I can't commando crawl anymore. It's too constricted to be on my elbows. I keep getting caught with them rammed down hard in a rock, the roof pressing down on the tops of my shoulders. So I lower myself entirely onto my belly. It's harder to go this way. Side to side, the tunnel is maybe three feet. So I can sweep my limbs out, but top to bottom, it's only about 18 inches. I'm pressing my hips open, pushing myself down in the floor of the tunnel to give myself room. I have to stay low. My hip flexors ache, and it's hard on my neck, keeping my head up. So instead, I crawl a few feet, then lift my head to look, then crawl a few more feet. It's doing this that gets me stuck. I've just managed to get my left foot past the bulge that impeded me from getting a decent push. And I go to lift my head and knock my helmet against the suddenly much lower rock above me, and it starts to fall to one side. I, trying to catch it, bob my head that way, and suddenly my teeth click hard together, and I'm jammed. With my helmet stuck askew on my head and my chin pushed hard into the cold rock below me. I fight panic and try to wrench my head back the other way, but I can't. There must be a rock sticking out or something, but when I try to feel, my arm can't pivot that far. It hits the ceiling before it's fully bent. I try to sweep it around over my head and hit the sidewall, almost getting it wedged too. Luckily, I freeze then, in shock, which saves me from thrashing myself into a worse jam. I just lie there, one hand extended along the tunnel, the other flexed by my shoulder, my head wedged at an aberrant angle, gulping my panic, which makes my hyperextended throat ache. My breath whistles in and out through terror-flared nostrils. I try to move again, but I'm completely pinned there, my head gripped between the rim of my unseated helmet and the rock. I can't call out, I can't open my mouth. I try to measure the air passing through my nose, forcing myself to take slow, even breaths. What am I going to do? I need to think, but my brain is panicking, offering solutions involving drills, jackhammers, and rescue crews. I close my eyes and try to calm myself think about Will's smile, his easy way of throwing an arm around my shoulders. And then my mother's face floats into my mind. Stuck it was, that big old head, she says. They had to corkscrew you out of me. I had been told this story so many times, on most birthdays and often in between times, the Herculean battle my mom had, giving birth to me, her eldest. Corkscrew, I think. Experimentally, I tried turning my head. Instead of away from whatever was jammed against, towards it, it moves. A fraction only, but it moves. The scraping of the helmet against rock deafening in my frightened ears. The floor grinding away at the skin of my chin. I shift a little onto my side, twisting my neck a bit further and it moves again. Inch by agonizing inch, I corkscrew my entire body. Over and over until I'm on my back, panting. My helmet lying on the floor of the tunnel above my head, finally free. The light is facing the other way, so it's but dimly that I can see the rough reddish-gray rock of the roof of the tunnel, about eight inches from my face. I call out to Will, but no reply comes. Only the distant rumbling echoes from the direction he went in. He must be hurt, I reason. There's no way he'd ignore me. He must be hurt badly enough that he can answer. I need to get to him as soon as I can. He has the first aid kit, and he'll know what to do. I rub my chin. It's bruised and scraped, but there's no blood. Laboriously, I begin to advance again, now on my back, 
but not being able to see ahead means I keep knocking my unprotected skull on lumps of rock. So after a few feet, I begin to turn laboriously onto my front again. I almost stick a second time when my hips are top to bottom in the passage, but a little shimmy and some slimy rock on the ceiling save me. On my front, I lift my head and see that a few feet away, the tunnel splits in two. I stare at the two openings for a long moment. Which way? Will had said, take the upper one, hadn't he? Reddy said not to take the upper one. I look at them both. They're more right and left than upper and lower, though they do wrap around one another slightly like yin and yang. Turning over has disoriented me, and I wonder which way up is. They're both tight openings, but one looks like a ridiculously small gap to get a human adult through. The other doesn't look big enough for a child. He did say there was a pinch, but wasn't meant to be before or after the split. Will? My reverberating voice sounded like the bleeding of a lamb. Will? I pant carefully through my open mouth, trying to be quiet so I can listen, but there's no response. Okay, I think to myself, then choose. I crane my neck again and look. The upper hole on the left really doesn't look like a space I can get through. It's like a teardrop, almost upside down. The rounded end uppermost and the tapering tail curling down around the lower gap. The largest diameter doesn't look large enough to fit my head through. The lower gap is smaller than the tunnel I'm in, but only by a few inches. It's a rough flattened oval, which looks like it can accommodate a human body if only just. All right then, I think, okay. Pushing my helmet ahead of me, I make for the lower tunnel. I make a mistake going in. As I slide my hips into the even smaller space of the lower gap, my hip catches on something. At first, I think it's just a rock, but as I wriggle, Trying to free it, I realize it's the energy bar I stuffed in my pocket when Will took my pack. It's such a tight space, but there's a wider spot above me. I manage to ease over and slide my hand down, rotating the bar out of the way. I push myself along with my toes, and there's a slither as my hip comes free and I surge on, eight or ten inches. Satisfied, I go to bring my arm back up, but I can't. The gap my shoulders lies between is only about an inch narrower enough that I can't sweep my arm back up the side. I try to lift my body and slide it beneath myself, but when my forearm reaches the lower ribs, I realize I can't get a full breath. When I try to inhale, my ribs come against solid rock on all sides and I can't expand. The rock tunnel is too tight to fit my ribs and my arm together. Terror surges, and this time I can't do anything but let it sweep me away. I scream short, terrified, half-lung screams, feeling the rock closing around me with each gasp flailing against the tiny space I am in. The cold embrace of the rock holds firm. I batter my head up and down in the tunnel, bashing against the stone, adrenaline numb. I kick my feet up and down the few inches of space they lie in, drumming out a staccato of terror. My heart is flailing too, ramming itself outwards against my constricted ribs. So I feel like I'm being crushed from the inside too. You think you will die of fright, People say it all the time, I'd be scared to death, or I'd just about die to fright, but you do not. Nothing so kind. Fear will not kill you. It might make you do something, that something might kill you, but fear on its own will just hold, pressing you thin in its terrible malevolent grip, wringing your sanity and your hope and your fight from you as it urges, taunts, torments you into action. 
Fear might make you pray and plead for death, but it will not kill you. I scream for help, beg for mercy, and shout Will's name over and over. I sob and call out for my mother. Grit from the wall sticks to the tears and snot and blood on my face. I piss my pants and it seeps warm then cold through my thermals. Contained in an inch's narrow defect running through a million tons of rock, my hysteria has no effect except to exhaust me. Finally, the adrenaline is spent and I am limp. In my floundering, I've worked the offending arm back down by my side so I can breathe a little easier. I punch the helmet a little way down the tunnel in my frenzy. I lie in the semi-darkness. Weird, broken shadows as the rock in front of my face. The distant rumble is nearer now. I can't hear anything else. I feel wrung out. My muscles are empty. They feel like water. I'm going to die here, I think. It's too tight and I'm so spent. And I'm going to die. Think about Will, who must be hurt somewhere beyond me. Dying, maybe. Waiting for me to come help him. Tear wells and cuts a cold path across my face, running salt sweet in the corner of my mouth. I lie there in my cramped tomb, with my cheek resting on the cold rock. Then I hear it, a tiny sporadic scraping. It's quiet, but it must be Will. He must be a fair way away, but it's undeniable. I lift my head an inch and call to him, listen, holding my breath. Yet there's no more. But then I lay my face down, and there it is again. Scrape, scrape. I try to raise my head to move but banging on a rock. It no longer fits chin to crown in the space I'm in. So instead I turn to the side and pulling with my fingertips, pushing with my toes, I inch forward. Progress is slow. It's many long minutes before my fingers hit the helmet again and it spins to face me, shining the torch back toward me, illuminating the rock which is now only a few inches from my face. My breath bounces back off the damp surface in a sour, dank cloud rest again. I hear him again. Scrape, 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 scrape. I press on, my calves and my forearms screaming at me as I push pull myself along by fingertips and toes. Ugh. The rumbling has become more of a roar, but my terror-shattered mind can no longer tell whether it is loud or quiet. Am I warm or am I numb? Down here in the darkness, nothing you are is the same as up there. Under the impossible expanse of the sky, up really means something. Down here, up is only two inches away, the same as down. Don't think about the sky. My hips are starting to stick. Well, my butt, really. I don't really have much of one to speak of, but the rock's grip on me is getting tighter and tighter. Sometimes when I flex my foot to get a hold for my toe to push against, my heel catches against the roof of the tunnel. I rest again, listen, hear him, scraping distantly away. Is it getting closer or further away? It's so hard to tell. I can't hear the roar so much as feel it now. Rumbling through the rock and rattling the meager air, I can still suck in my compressed lungs. The helmet is stuck. It's firm against my outstretched fingers, resisting. I strain my eyes hard, trying to see under my brows from the tiny angle I can flex my head back to see if there's a way to free it. A throb settles through around my eye sockets, and I give up. 
and instead try to reach past the helmet for something to pull myself on with. But I can't. It fills the whole bottom of the space. I flex my feet to push with my toes, and both heels momentarily jam against the tunnel roof. Another little surge of adrenaline comes, but I control it, turn my toes out, finding room. I creep on four inches, six, enough that I can get a tiny, pathetic swing in. Pulling my forearm back against the top of my head until my elbow and hand are flat against the rock on both sides, I hit out and smack the helmet as hard as I can. It knocks loose with a clatter and rattle, and I am plunged into sudden, complete darkness. Jet black rushes up to caress my face, its totality engulfing every inch of me that the rock isn't already touching. My body tries to gasp, but the rock closes her cold embrace around me, forbidding it. I begin to cry, but she hushes that too, smothering the drama of my panic down to shallow breaths, tiny movements. Cocooned in stone and blackness, I realize three things. The first is that my hand is no longer in the tunnel. I reach up and down, side to side above my head. I am completely disoriented in the blackness, but I can feel nothing. The helmet has flown loose into an open cavern. Inches ahead of me is a void, where if I could only reach it, I could perhaps stand, stretch, and breathe. But as I realize this, I also finally understand what the roar is. Water. Thousands of tons of black, icy water running down through the stone, through any gap it can find, and then surging back up on a groundwater swell. Water that perhaps silenced Will, and which is rising right now, through that void, towards me. The certainty that the water already found Will comes by third revelation. As I lie in my little crack in the stone, a few inches smaller than my body would usually be, waiting for it to reach me, my cheek is on the rock again, and I blink in the darkness. The cold water reaches the lip of the fissure, creeping hurriedly past my hand, and as it seizes my head in its icy iron vise, it starts to work its way up my nose, seeking to fill every gap, displace every tiny pocket of air, I realize the scrape, scrape, scraping of Will's feet in the tunnel ahead, beckoning me on, was just the sound of my own fluttering eyelashes, grazing soft against the rock beneath my face. This story was written by Beck Stranger and narrated by Jarrett Ferratusco. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. Please 
follow Please Leave on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Please Leave Pod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com, and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Two Penguins Media Production.